Bradley, Bradley, stop messing around. Put on your uh, put on your professional podcast hat. We we only got one shot uh, to get this right. Uh, I dude, I have I have no idea what I'm doing. I uh, shit. I wonder what this button does. Got any more buttons? Sorry, Zoom does not like my nice webcam, so it's using my laptop's webcam. So I apologize for the low quality. Oh, you can change that. From from the one side, it's highlighting your dimple. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 my good side. Yeah. Trying to, all right, let me get my height already here. Last time I did this with Josh, I was, I, I had the camera, I put the camera up on a brick because I thought they wanted a long shot, but then that looked like it was in a basement or something. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so somebody released a tweet today that said, uh, we, we think that they're going to do two more secret episodes. And on uh, Expedition Unknown. I haven't heard anything. Yeah. Whether he brings me in or not, I don't know. You know, it's, it's whatever I think serves a story that they're yeah. trying to, they're trying to write. I think uh, we had a, a you know a great time. He did so many things in such a short time for that Brooklyn episode where they uh, presented the uh, award to Jason. Jason was his name. Yeah, Jason mm-hmm. Krupat. Yeah, who won the, uh, who, who didn't win, but who discovered the, uh, the Boston treasure. And I mean, he flew them from Boston then, and then he went to New York. You know, and to, I was coming in and. The other two guys from Cleveland were um, Brian were they, and Andy. Brian and Andy, and then they brought the other two guys in from uh, Chicago. So that was a pretty pretty cool production that they were able to do and photograph it there. We had to be very careful with the historical society there because the, our, I mean, I left like a camera bag on a table and it had leather on it, so they were concerned that my camera bag didn't damage the leather tabletop. Wow. I mean, everything was like antique and old. And wow. Really it was like something that had kept in Nemo's uh, library. But that was like the perfect finale to that whole series. Like first episodes, just an introduction to the hunt. Second episode, you try to find a cask and you can't third episode. You find a cast. So you get the Chicago guys, the Cleveland guys, Sandy, the kids, you all together to meet up. Yeah. I think, I think it was fine. The thing I found <laughs> just kind of funny is how, um, uh, what was his name again? Uh, Jason, Jason's yeah. right. Was was kind of I don't want to say he was lecturing Josh, but he was telling him and saying, you know, people are just overthinking this thing. And then I point out how it spells Boston across the, <laughs> the bottom of the page, you know, and it's like, see, you maybe even overthought that part a little bit too much. So it was uh, it was a neat episode. And I think uh, uh, what I liked about it is that, as I mentioned, I don't know where the, the treasures are or where they're buried. Except for Cleveland, I knew where Cleveland's was, and that was it. That's the only one I'll admit to. Um, <laughs> but that uh, when Jason was going over some of the clues, it ignited some of my memories of the uh, of these packets of info that that Byron was sent to me. And so, when you see that cover and you see the the uh, those things hanging, I forget there is a name for them. The the panels of fabric that are hanging off her sleeves, the uh, the shapes in there are the shapes of the uh, 
flags on old Ironside that's yeah. across the bay from the, uh, you know, from that ball field. And uh, I had mentioned, as I mentioned to other people in the past, that uh, mentioned this to Josh about, you know, somewhere in some construction site, some guy's going to run across one of these and not know what he has. But thank God Jason beat him to it, and it couldn't have been the timing on that. I mean, it, is, it does read um, kind of like a, you know, kind of like a movie and stuff. So it was uh, um, pretty exciting, I, I thought, you know. But, uh, you know, it was uh, – it's kind of an kind of an interesting thing with all the uh, all the symbolism that was involved and how they they walk through uh, you know the parks there and I'm trying to think where else and the arc of the hair did mimic the um, uh, what do you call it the um, baseball diamond yeah the baseball, the baseball diamond, diamond. and uh, I'm trying to think what else that they had there they had the scu- the sculpture oh against the building too and it kind of Byron was notorious for doing that you know he, he picked those words off that that building and what people have to remember well i can't really aid them in their um their uh, treasure hunts directly because because of legal reasons uh you know you have to think like byron how he had to bury them he had to be and jason may mention this about he had to be in and out very quickly you know he had to be able to go in in a clandestine type fashion and uh dig a hole very quickly and uh, uh put the treasure box in there now, you were with him, right, when he was uh, burying the cask in Cleveland in the Greek Cultural Gardens. Was that kind of like what it was like? He just ran in, dug a hole, and then he was out super quick? What I remember uh, about the, the Cleveland treasure, he was very quick. And I was, I was operating as lookout. And when I went back there to see where he had buried it, I could not tell where he buried it. And he, yeah. had, just, he had just dug that hole. There was not even any fresh, uh, dark, darker dirt because of the moisture from him digging down. It was just like, like nothing had happened. Wow. And it was like, it was pretty, pretty magical. And I mean, he, he, this was done in a different time. I'm sure like you have to, you know, I, I don't want people damaging places, digging up, digging up things without permission. I mean, in some areas, if you look cross-eyed at a tree, they're going to arrest you, you know? <laughs> so um, I think uh, those were different times when Byron was burying these treasures. And uh, when you, when you think about it, uh, you know, there were, things were much more relaxed there, even though there was an environmental movement and there weren't as, as many as, you know, protect our parks kind of uh, ordinances and uh, rules and laws. You know, we could hitchhike around the country back then and you could kind of camp out along a river and nobody would really kind of say anything, you know. And uh, like, like, that's a good point, though. Uh, it was a much different time back then. Everything was a lot safer. People didn't really pay as much attention in the parks. Uh, now, like what searchers are running into is, say you live in New York and you want to solve the puzzle in San Francisco. Yeah, you fly over there, but how do you get tools? Like, how do you take a six-foot shovel through TSA? Like, how did Byron do that? You know, he a lot of times he flew to some places and he had, you know, he had this little shovel with him. And... Uh, Sometimes it was a larger shovel. Sometimes it was a little military shovel. You know, I'm sure the Boy Scouts know know that type of shovel. So yeah, uh, San, Sandy told a story about that. Like after one yeah. of her, after their first date, he pulled out this little foldable <laughs> shovel and went out and buried a cat. <laughs> it's funny too that she, because I remember when he first started seeing her, I was and I was actually I, I didn't realize that I was hanging out with Byron about the same time that he met Sandy, and. Uh, so I would stay at his apartment there. And sometimes I had use of his apartment when he was, when he was away, which was great because it was almost like having my own apartment in New York. I used to pretend it was mine. But uh, he would call, if, I were, if we were there together, uh, 
you know, I was down on the couch and he would, we would go out to dinner and stuff and get back And about, I think it was around 12 at night. He called Sandy, who was a publicist uh, for Bantam Books at the time, I think. And she was working out of her, out of the West Coast office in San Francisco. So um, he was calling her religiously every night, like at 12 o'clock at night. You know, I'd go out on his balcony and have a smoke and stuff. I didn't want to overhear what the grits talking about because he was so gracious to let me stay at his place uh, there. But uh, those were the good old times. It was, New York was interesting. It was, you know, it was taxi driver New York with all the steam coming up. The steam still comes up out of the pipes there. But uh, there was a certain uh, danger and rawness to New York City at that time. It was very colorful. Very, yeah. you know, you always see something interesting happening on the streets there. So every once in a while when I post something, uh, I want to thank you guys too. George Ward and my son Kit for uh, being the surrogates for my uh, Facebook page that I don't really... I access, I can see what everybody else sees, but uh, allow me, they post my things and sometimes relay messages and things. I You're, hope very, I have a You're very welcome. So, uh, John, one of the biggest questions that surgers have right now, um, everybody sort of wants a copy of this book. They want a copy of right. the uh, first edition book because the, the pictures are vivid. Uh, it's really <laughs> valuable. It's kind of rare, but yeah, all they I can- I more of them at my house, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> And the Japanese edition. I found my Japanese edition finally. Well, you can sell them if you want to influx of cash because they're kind of yeah. expensive. Um, yeah. I'm holding on to. I, I had. I don't have much left, you know, from that from these times. You know, I mean, I I'm still trying to find the preliminary drawings. Anyway, so go ahead. You were your question well, was. So what, the the thing that people can get their hands on, anybody can go to Barnes and Noble and buy one of these like fifteen dollar reprint copies of the books yeah. from from yeah. iBooks. Uh, right. But the biggest question that everybody has is, can you use those? Like, can you see everything in the images that you need to see to solve the puzzle? I could. I would always say high high res is better. Uh, higher resolution is better. If the the printing is up up not up to snuff, or if they're printed on an inferior stock. It, it may impinge on uh, some of the uh, some of the visual those maybe some of the tinier ones so unless they up the paper stock in that uh, version now, I've never seen one so I can't really make an, an accurate assessment oh, you know you of one. that oh no that's okay <laughs> that's okay don't want to give that um, man any money huh I yeah, feel the same I, way I get, I get enough things in by you know, some of the uh, people who are still don't believe I don't know uh, where the treasures are they, they somehow are uh, so they don't believe me. So they send me their uh, solutions. I just got a FedEx the other week and say this poor guy has like spent money on a FedEx delivery. And I'm like, dude, I don't know where they are. You know, you, you're better off uh, contacting John Colby. And I think it's Brick Tower Press over there in the, uh, in the Hamptons. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah. the, I think high re I, all I can say in a general statement, the higher resolution, the better. Okay. Sometimes it seems like there's some pretty good scans online, you know, yeah. and uh, most books, magazines, uh, if they're high res, they're only printed to a maximum of uh, a 300 DPI, 350 DPI for yeah. actual physical print. And that's even back then uh, on, uh, on the stock that we use. And we did use a coded stock on the inside of the book. The cover too was a little discouraging because that cover is so big that I painted all these details in there. And when they put it even on the cover, which is one of the larger reproductions of the book, is the cover. Um, something's really shrunk, shrunk down. All the little reflections and the iris of the eyes has disappeared, and the, you know, the tear ducts and things like that aren't shown. That's why when Josh sees the thing, he said they're so much sharper and different in real life. Is because 
I would always kind of go uh, beyond what the the printing uh, was then and even now. And I also worked larger. Usually you, you try to work towards what size reproduction it's going to ultimately end up being. But I had this, I have this view of like, I sell to collectors that collect my work and, you know, some of my paintings are good enough to, you know, not that I put them over a fireplace mantle, but they're, you know, they're fireplace mantle worthy as far as the size or God forbid if they, they match their couch or something like that, you know, <laughs> the back of their couch. But, uh, um, so yeah, some of them have more detail than even we were able to capture in them, but the crucial things were there. Okay. So, um, I think, like I said, I can't, I can't, uh, comment on the, on the, the new version. Uh, it seems like, uh, people on Amazon are complaining about it from what some of the, uh, comments that I hear from some of the, the buyers, the purchasers of that book. And, uh, that's one of their main complaints that some of the, uh, mechanic, the mechanical uh, production pages are kind of offset within the book and that the, um, the, the uh, reproductions are quite up to snuff, you know, that they need to be uh, a little bit better. So, but that's what I've heard. I can't they're, even see. They're literally, uh, the easiest way to explain them to you is they're, they seem like they're scanned on a regular scanner and then printed out on a laser printer. Like they're dark yeah, I, and muddy. Yeah, it's very dark. Yeah. And I don't know if they're taking them down to local Kinko's or not. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that irritates new searchers is we often refer to these paintings by city. So uh, mm -hmm. if we're talking about painting number one, we refer to it as the San Francisco painting. And that mm -hmm. irritates people because some people think that's in like Peoria or wherever. Yeah. Are we able mm -hmm. to name any of them? I know we've got Castle Hat. We've got Medieval Scarecrow. But are, yeah. there, are there names for any of the others? No, I, I never really titled them, and I, I always thought that's that's up to the uh, to the people seeking the treasure. I mean, whatever, um, um, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Not outline, whatever um, legend you know you're trying to use for your own treasure solve is uh, is up to you. I know, noticed a lot of them, uh, like you said, are being identified by city, but you know, I've gotten some uh, things of pe people that have sent me or they've mailed them to me. Um, the uh, common knowledge of what city that may be, sometimes it's a different city. Yeah. And I think it's a different city and they're entitled to that. I mean, that's the whole, the whole thing here of uh, activating people's brains and researching, you know, history and what, whatever it takes to get there. Um, and they're entitled to their own opinion, <laughs> you know, so I guess the, the next question, um, I guess the biggest question is, um, are the cities that are commonly accepted correct? We've tried to work this out for a while. We know that, um, that Byron confirmed New York had a cask. Uh, so yeah. he, he confirmed Houston had a cask. Sean yeah. Kelly confirmed Montreal had a cask. Sandy, yeah. Sandy confirmed it on a video that's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, yeah. She confirmed San Francisco and you confirmed Milwaukee. The only cities that are left are Charleston, Roanoke, New Orleans, and St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are any of those correct? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think, uh, I think they are. I think they are. I mean, I'm trying to remember. Uh, we have the, uh, yeah, I think, I think they are. I think, I think they are. They, they're pretty, they have uh, a couple of the uh, things that I see. I have seen people um, post online. They seem to be going in the right direction for the, the right cities for the right image some of them are very um, obvious yeah there's others aren't but uh, 
they're 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 pretty much you know people have been working on this for a number of decades <laughs> now. So I yeah. think they've discerned the uh, the general geographical location. Nice. Okay. Well, that's super helpful. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, that's it's interesting because it took so long to do that. Um, it, Did really, it really? Yeah. It really I wasn't. Be like, no. You know? it, it was uh, it's like 2000, was it five? I think it was 2005 yeah. when Robert Fox found uh, the latitude and longitude coordinates in paintings. Yeah. And that was when like everything just sort of changed for the secret. We all of a sudden yeah. knew. Really? Yeah. We oh, when, was it, when did this happen? 2005. I think it was 2005. Yeah. It was after they found Cleveland. Right. Okay. Um, he yeah. found the latitude and longitude coordinates, which looking back on it is the simplest thing. You know, yeah. it's like, why didn't I right. think of that? Um, yeah. And then once that happened, we knew what cities went with which paintings, but we didn't know which verses yeah. went, you know. Um, right. Which leads me to the, the next question is, that seems like a simple thing. And if yeah. we can't even figure that out, are we doing this puzzle wrong? Have we, I don't know. Have we sort of brute forced ourselves into the middle of the puzzle and skipped no, something? I mentioned, I mentioned, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to Josh. I've talked to a few people on this. Uh, I mean, here's not something that's going to bake your noodle, as the Oracle would say, <laughs> is that the, you know, the first painting, and the last painting are arches and they're both coastal paintings. Yeah, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of little now, similarities. Does that mean? Like that. Does that mean that they're that these paintings go in a chronological order from west to east, or east to west? You know, or do you do west to east and then east to west back, and then somehow do some other kind of flip thing? You know, so. But, uh, well, so I, I mentioned uh, we so we did we do meetups in different um, different suspected cities yeah. uh, with the community and mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of fun and uh, during our San Francisco meetup um, we had a conversation about the moons in the background of the painting oh, and the fact that there's eleven moons um, yeah. and this is your first painting and my interpretation of that um, which is probably way off base it's just my interpretation of the art was that these eleven moons are the other eleven worlds that you're going to go to throughout your journey in the secret. Um, I remember. I know. Are they different but, states? That's another thing. I was trying to think. Yeah. Oh, okay. But that's uh, <laughs> that was kind of my uh, my interpretation of it. I I enjoy thinking of it that way. Yeah. I feel like John's just gonna have fun going. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't. I mean, I, no, there no, is, it's, there's it's that fun. sense of mystery. Oh, of course. Know? Oh the, yeah. It, the puzzle would would honestly be ruined for everybody if it was just I given away. We don't want things. that. I can't remember some of the stuff that Byron and I talked. I mean, we worked on this thing. I was still a, a senior at Columbus College of Art and Design. And uh, I started the first initial um, paintings. I think it may have been uh, the woman with the dragon on her robe. I'm not going to say any locations. And uh, uh, I think Castle Hat was in there, was, was kind of second. I had then moved. I moved. I went back. I, I went with my tail between my legs back to my parents' house set up my studio in the front living room and um, started to complete the series in, in there. So uh, we, we had worked, Byron and I had worked on this for so long and had discussed so many different angles. And in fact, I think I was still working on stuff while he was burying these things. And he'd call back and I think he would have an idea on something and then I'd say, hey, Byron, what about this? And he'd say, go with that. And he'd say, I'll send you, you know, a packet in the mail and I'd get some photos. And he said, put this in, put that in, but do this. 
and I'd try a few things to disguise things, and then we would go from there, you know, and I can say that part, and uh, uh, just just went on for a year. I remember flying into New York a couple times, and we had a we had a good time. We had a, uh, a meeting with the writers, and with Joellen was there, and John Perard and uh, Sean Sean Kelly, Ted Mann. Yep. And those guys were funny because one of them had just come off the movie, I think, uh, Animal House, or was starting it, and another guy was working for National Lampoon. So you know, there was always about some good one-liners there, and and that, and uh, so. I forget what your question was. I'm starting to get off on the tangent here. I'm, I'm kind of going back in my memory to the to, to us sitting in these restaurants on the corner, some corner restaurant on the east side. You know, honestly, forget my question. I'd rather hear this story. You no, know, eat, you know, eating food and talking about this stuff, and then a lot of what Byron and I did. The other people would be kind of they were working on their part of the book, so Byron would work with them, and then he would come to me, and then we would work together privately, even yeah. from Overton or. Uh, or Perard or Lloyd Overton. I forget who else was in there. So it seems like from all the people that we've talked to about this book, and I think you've said something similar, it seems like Byron treated this sort of like the U S government treated the, what is the SR 71 Blackbird yeah. where yeah, everybody sort of knew their part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't know what their part was. They knew they were building a part. They didn't know what it was for. I always have this feeling, and this is just my own, my own, uh, uh, curiosity that somehow the front part of the book is tied in with the, the treasure part. It seems like there's like, when you look at the book, there's two parts. You have your field guide to the fair people and the contemporary versions, like the Tupper werewolf or the Matra demon and um, typographical terrors. This is when we had typewriters and not computers. <laughs> and uh, so, but there's some, there was something about that. And I remember bringing up, I said, Byron, why don't we just, discard this other stuff and just let's, let's do a treasure book. Let's make it more elaborate. Let's make it uh, more like uh, like Kit Williams masquerade, which is one of the inspirations for the secret. And uh, he said, no, this has got to be in there. We have to do this part. So now whether the book company was saying, look, it's got to be more than just this little 12 page thing, you know, it's got to be bigger. So, so he came up with this, uh, you know, brought Ted Mann in and the writers in and, Byron is kind of this conduit, you know, publisher that coordinated like herding cats, I guess you could say in a way. And uh, then we had this other part of the book, but I always thought somehow how he wrote these things and some of the, um, the names on this and how he worked with these guys, if he somehow has hidden something in there, I mean, this is going to another thing, bake your noodles that maybe there's some code in the actual writing after he, after yeah. he edited it, you know, like the first letter of every third word, you know, done, you know, some kind of like, you know, uh, enigma, yeah. you know, code machine type, type thing going on. So that was one of my, my, uh, getting back to the SR 71, but yeah, we, he would only give me certain parts. He knew the whole thing. And, uh, everybody knows the story of the SR 71 was each manufacturer got a different part. They even created a company to buy titanium from the Russians who they ultimately ended up using the plane to, to spy on. <laughs> so, um, you know, that they use for the hull on that. But uh, yeah, it was kind of like that. So like I tell people, I don't know where they are. Cleveland was the only one. Like I said, I acted as lookout. I didn't even know what side he buried it under. I mean, when Andy and uh, what's his, the other guy's name, Andy? Ryan. And Ryan. Ryan found it. Um, you know, they went to the one side and then they went to the other side. I didn't even know what side he buried it on when he buried it. Through the time. You know, so oh. he was very crafty. It, yes, it seems so. 
It seems so. Yeah, it's so we've, we've often pointed out it's kind of weird that that book, the back part of the book, is not written like a regular book. It's uh, instead of one page, it's it, there's two columns of text on each page, which is odd. Like no other book's really written like that. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some sort of reason. You're right. There is, isn't there? Yeah. There's not like just like paragraph, paragraph. It's two. It's two columns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the formatting is very unique. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. you have talked to Alex J, the designer, about that. Yeah, Alex says he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't remember. <laughs> Alex, I think Alex is a mason or something like that. You know, he's put some things in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you're going to get us in trouble. Um, well, so, talking about uh, uh, clues being uh, possibly in other places, uh, during your interview with Josh Gates um, recently, uh, you talked about your um, your artwork uh, with all of the trees and the the box, and, and kind of you're in the background, oh. and that really sparked a fire in the community. Talking about um, all of your works and it's, where there are clues hidden to the secret and everything. So, um, if you wouldn't mind uh, expounding upon that comment from the show oh, and yeah. maybe helping us, um, I have to think about that. It's very interesting. That's stupid. No, I, I think uh, uh, I've paid um, homage to uh, Byron in, in, in subsequent work. Some of my paintings are, I guess you could say, are autobiographical. Uh, there have been time, I do hide things in them repeatedly. I sometimes even swear at people in them, some of the small highlights in them, or give people the finger or say I hide. And there's different things that are actually written in there, but there are also uh, uh, other uh, visual uh, um, and illusionistic symbols that are in the, uh, are in the images. I remember, uh, how can I say this? Right about the time I was working, uh, finishing up with The Secret, I started working for Time Life Books, and we worked on a series of books called The Enchanted World. I worked on about 10 of the 16 volumes. And so there are books on dragons and ghosts and night creatures and uh, wizards and witches, I think was the first book. And one of the books was uh, Mythical Beasts was one of them. And it was a, uh, did a painting of a minotaur, which coincidentally, which I thought Josh would bring this up, the image I did of the minotaur uh, appeared in the movie, uh, the second Bill and Ted movie. Bill and Ted's oh, latest journey. Yeah. And it's in the seance scene. And if you look in the seance scene and she opens up the page book, there's this horned figure in there and it's actually a minotaur but they took they took it as a demon and so it's in black and white on the page of this magical book and bill and ted are like circling the table and they have their, his his mom or something has, has read this book for the seance or whatever that is and uh in the nose of that minotaur when i did this for time life book i put a, a uterus with fallopian tubes <laughs> an egg in there and i told them after the fact i told the art director publisher everybody and they were like are you kidding? And they were like, and then they, it's like the thing you can't unsee once you see. It. So subsequently, I started hiding things, and and then I did a, another a book of dragons, and uh, on the back of uh, the anatomy of the dragon on the back, I put a lady part, and uh, they didn't see it at first until I, <laughs> until I pointed it out, and then of course they can't unsee it. So and they they still continue to hire me. So it was funny because then I would start hiding stuff in. And this is kind of an offshoot of uh, the things I used to do early on, you know, in high school. And uh, there was a book called um, 
sexual sublimation in advertising or something like that. Some guy had these really far out theories that every advertisement you see had hidden genitals and all kinds of stuff in it and everything. And uh, so I read that in, in high school. I was like, you know, oh, yeah, I think he's stretching in this one, but you know, you'd look in the bubbles of a, of a, um, you know, a, a, a pint of beer or something. And there would be some weird symbols or something in there. And sometimes a guy really stretched it, but with that and just, I've always liked symbolic paintings, the, the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch and uh, uh, Bruegel and uh, a few other, Da Vinci, or not Da Vinci, but Salvador Dali was another very early influence in his his way of uh, um, doing illusionistic things. So for, for example, like the hallucinogenic Toreador, you know, we can see a man's face in the Venus de Milo's body. And uh, so all these things kind of combined. And I think one reason, one of the when Byron and I first met, I, I had a one uh, the top student award at the Society of Illustrators student competition in New York, got a scholarship to Paris, France, and uh, to study at the illustrators workshop there. But uh, Byron had seen my work and I think that put him on to uh, some of the symbolic thing for the secret because he saw that I had some kind of symbols and things in there and hid, things hidden and he picked up on it. He's a pretty smart guy. He can really kind of zone in on something. And um, I've actually signed my first uh, job with him, a contract there. I met with him in New York before I flew on to, to Paris, France that year. And uh, um, so it was, I was off and on running with him, but uh, yeah. So getting back to your uh, symbolic thing. Yes. There's many symbols hidden in my stuff and some of them may relate to the secret. Some of them may not. Some of them are personal um, autobiographical. Uh, you can, in fact, if you even look at the, uh, the, the long, uh, they're called pan when they panel the art on the, uh, HP Lovecraft pieces, you know, there's plenty of things that are in there. Some of them are personal. Some of them are, um, to do with the stories, you know, a lot of those were, that was in the anthology of HP Lovecraft's work. So if you look at those covers, some of those are symbols from the stories, but some of them are, uh, some of my things, the, uh, Muse and Reverie cover for Charles DeLint, that's directly kind of related to the secret a little bit, I could say the little box there and the little, the little figure there, you know, uh, kind of going off and uh, I'm trying to think if there's any shovel in there. I don't think there's a shovel in that one. So, but uh, you know, I have to still keep the mystery going. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, Einstein said the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. And I think, it's true. There's something that tickles your brain, you know, or you, you see something that, you know, um, that you can't quite see just yet, but it gets your curiosity up. And the, the, the pursuit of the solution is sometimes an extremely beautiful thing to do and to experience. So. Uh, I really appreciate you expounding upon that. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, a little bit earlier that somebody um, sent you a FedEx box and that you receive all sorts of things in the a mail. FedEx letter uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we touch on maybe crazy people or people that are overly enthusiastic contacting you and sending you things. And <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would call them cra crazy. I think some of them are maybe frustrated. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, my understanding is, is that the new version of the book has a, a, a form in back to send your solve in it and if they that's john colby's responsibility to respond to those and i don't know if he 
20 response to the positive ones and maybe nobody has solved anything. You know, I, I don't know where that, where that goes. They send me stuff and I don't know how I can help them. Legally, I am, since the property of the book has been uh, purchased by another business entity, the contracts, the intellectual property, everything involved with this book is under uh, Brick Tower Press and John Colby's uh, umbrella since he purchased Byron's properties after his, uh, his untimely death. And uh, so I can't really say anything. So when people send me, uh, call my, I've had them call my house. I've had them send me packets in the mail. Uh, you know, you can find out where anybody lives nowadays, I guess on the net. Uh, it's, I have, I don't know how to respond to them. At first, you know, I could respectfully call them and stuff, and some of them don't believe me. They think I'm lying. I think, too, because I, I'm kind of dangling things in front of people's faces as far as some of the clues and the symbol stuff and everything. But that keeps it interesting, I think. And uh, I think you always have to keep hope alive. And uh, I think but some of these people have to realize that I, um, I can't help them both legally and I just don't know where the treasures are. I mean, I, I've said that repeatedly. I can remember like when I talk about uh, Jason Krupat and the, the Boston treasure that was solved when he started mentioning some of those things i remember you know i can go back to a few fragments of conversations i had with byron or a packet that he sent me i remember now the photo of like old Ironside and stuff and i remember telling him byron i can't put this boat in if i put it in if people are going to know right away what we're talking about you know so i said how about this so i put in the sigil cycles how do you say that sigils sigils, or, Sigil sigils yeah yeah and that were the little pinafores or whatever the tiny flags are uh, and still make it look like some type of Celtic design and uh, work it in with the spelling of Boston. Also, you know, there's a, there was a number of things where were clues and things are blended that I had completely forgotten about, you know, and it was very, like I said, it was very fluid. He was off doing his thing and we were talking, I was saying, I was sending him work. He was burying treasures. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on and, and on top of it, it was, you know, 40 plus years ago, you know, I challenge anybody to remember all these little kind of um, intimate details of how you've done something, you know, yeah. from more than 40 years ago. I can remember big things about certain things, but like I said, I remember the one time I got, I was burning clues in my kitchen in Columbus before I moved that home. And I remember almost getting sick to my stomach because I had so much smoke in the apartment and in my kitchen because i had a steel bucket there i was burning these things in and um i actually got like nauseous and thank god nobody called the police because or the fire department because there was a lot of smoke coming out of my kitchen window and uh we didn't have fire uh this is before uh, smoke detectors so that was one episode where i and w with those clues being burnt my memories went out with a lot of those too so you know I, I like to tell people this, uh, you and I, we don't talk often, but we talk a decent amount. I live in yeah. St. Augustine. There's a cask in St. Augustine and that cask is not on my mantle. If you won't yeah. give me a clue, I don't know that you're going to give random other people a clue. So like, I don't know. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that. I mean, I yeah. think, well, it would ruin the puzzle. I mean, like, what's the point of a puzzle? Even Josh asked me, answer? and I like, you know, I, I was jerking around with Josh and then he sent me that beautiful shot of being a sound man it is. I don't know if you saw that on the thing. Yeah. I, have the actual, I have the uncensored shot 
but I, I, I came up with some clues for him and I just, you know, I, I did a, I did a rhyme and he was like <laughs> going with it. And I like, Oh shit, I better stop this because I'm going to, and sure enough, I got that, that picture back <laughs> it's with the sound man, Mike and uh, Brian is his mm-hmm. partner, the, the camera guy. And, uh, they're, they're a great group of people though. I mean, when they were here at the studio, they, uh, they're just very professional. We had a good time. We, I'm on maybe, a minute and a half on that episode, that first episode. And I, I'm trying to think it's like, they were here for like six hours. We had yeah. coffee and donuts and we we're hanging out and had a, had a good time. Popcorn. I forget what else we had, He's, but uh, he seems like a good dude. Well, my neighbors didn't know what the heck was going on because it's like at three, I had a, like a panel box truck and there was a van and all these people piled. There were two producers standing outside the studio, with dark coats on. It looked like, FBI agents or CIA. I, thought, I think they probably thought, yeah, that guy finally got busted. He's probably got a grow operation in that building out there in back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they were just legalized. In fact, I, I just got, I got a, I just got contacted. I have to respond to them. I got contacted by uh, a medical grow operation here in Ohio. They want me to come up, maybe work, uh, collaborate with them on some kind of corporate identity thing and stuff. And it's probably from seeing the work of the secret because they did a review of this book. At the Toronto Star when it was first came out up in Toronto, and the, the guy likened my work to head shop art, so I can I can see that <laughs> it's a it's a fair it's a fair assessment, you know. It would need to be in uh, crushed velvet and blacklight responses. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you yeah. could put one of these paintings on crushed velvet, that'd be great. <laughs> That's the prints you should sell. The blacklight. Do you uh, do you have a favorite of these paintings? I, I know you've said that they're your earlier work and they're not your favorite paintings that you've ever done, you know, overall. But out of the twelve, do you have a do you have a favorite? Favorite? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I I do like the castle half painting. Well, you, like you've the you've used that on T-shirts and promos and. So that was. Of, I, I shouldn't give anyone of those. Those were those were put on a T-shirt. I was artist guest of honor at. Balticon. Was it Balticon that that was yeah. on? So, yeah, because I did another one in Norwestcon. They used, oh no, they used another one from another one of the the uh, Strange But True Stare Tales. Um, yeah, those were put on there. I think we're um, trying to think what else. They were on buttons too, I think. You know? Oh. Funny. In fact, I, 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 sold, I gave, uh, um, I was a little sad, but I gave uh, a, a secret button to, uh, to Josh Gates after we did our in Boston, I wanted to have a little special remembrance of it, and it was a button that Byron gave me. But I realized Byron gave me two, so I just found another one. Yes. Oh, nice! <laughs> and I have one, and Josh Gates has one, and he had handed these out um, when I think the book was done. But while we were working on it, too, we had a top secret stamp that said the secret. So every time I did something, whether it was a drawing or uh, at the back of the painting, they stamped it with this uh, rubber stamp. That said the secret, so everything had a had a stamp on it, and it was kind of a kind of a cool thing. I, I think I got off the track here again, guys. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Were, we, were you saying that you still have that stamp? Yeah. I can't. No, it's got to be around somewhere. I know I didn't. I didn't get rid of it. I know I. Didn't get rid of it. The the reason we ask you is uh, because we recently uh, came into uh, possession of a piece of memorabilia that has that stamp on it, and we're trying to have the stamp reproduced just so we can have fun with it. Yeah, um, as we, a piece of memory for it, but we had, um, we had one made, but it's a little different. It, yeah, it came out horribly wrong. <laughs> um, Ours was, I think, it, I don't know. Look, it was uh, 
New Times Roman or something like that. Yeah, it's a it's it's that simple script. Mm-hmm. It's there's nothing special about it. It's it printed Times really well. I mean, I, yeah. I sometimes a couple, you know, I would test it out and stuff, and a lot of times. Near the end, it was just like, "Hey, put some ink on this," and pop, 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 you know, and hit it like two or three times on the back of the painting or the drawing, whatever it was, and you know, became part of that whole whole thing. It so. irritates stamp makers because it's in reverse, right? It's just a big oh, blob yeah. of ink, and they're like, "Etching this is going to be a pain in the ass," and they can't. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, didn't know. I can see. I don't know where mine is. I have to look for it. I know I didn't throw it out. I did find the one button though, which I was happy because I. I, I, I mean, I wanted Josh to have it because I think, you know, it's just the promotion and being able to keep what Byron did yeah. uh, a lot and, and how the community, like, you know, we've we've talked about how it's brought people together and uh, uh, relationships and maybe even marriages and, and uh, friendships and things like that. And I think that's a cool part of this whole thing. As long as you don't damage anything, you know, and like I said, you don't get permission to dig if you have to. Yeah. We do have a good, good location. So, yeah, yeah, George and I are a prime example of uh, the friendship the illustration you were just speaking of. Yeah, uh, that's how that's how we ended up meeting, and um, uh, we've become very good friends since. At two yeah. o'clock in the morning, in the middle of Fort Raleigh <laughs> National Park, <laughs> <laughs> and then me um, and Rachel, we've decided that we can't wait for a cask anymore. I don't know if I told you that, Bradley. We're gonna get married sometime next year. The end of next year. Oh wow, that's exciting. Yeah, I can't I can't do it. And and I was talking to John about something too. Like, um, if I find something, if I find a cask, everybody's just gonna say I cheated. So yeah. it's like I can't I can't really even dig anymore. So He's yeah. Tainted. Yeah, yeah. You're so, tainted. Yes. So next year we're gonna get yeah. married. We're gonna make John come though. You're gonna have to fly down. <laughs> You're gonna have to come to Florida. Oh wait till this pandemic thing is, is going. It's been oh it's yeah, been when it is too, because I gotta I hopefully have a like well, I'm supposed to be teaching at a university on the East Coast here in the fall. I'm going to be a visiting visiting artist there. So, well, well speaking see. speaking of that, uh, your your number one fan, Linda Spaulding, whom I know I know you know that name. Yeah, yeah uh, I've heard that name before. She she asked if you have any uh, if you you have any traveling shows or you're or you're going to have your paintings traveling around anytime in the near future. Right. Well, um, right now I have to like I said I I, I may have a um, a solo show here in uh, 20, uh, 2022 in on the East Coast, but I'm going to hold nice. off on that just to make sure everything goes right here because things are so tentative with the uh, universities and teaching and uh, how they're setting things up. It looks like, you know, things are going to get close back to normal by the time we fall rolls around. Yeah. If everybody gets their vaccines and I mean, we'll still be walking around like a bunch of uh, outlaws with masks on and stuff. But uh, I think uh, I think they'll be more relaxed until they uh, uh, get down to a certain uh, case count. I think I think uh, in um, Ohio here they want to uh, lift all restrictions once we get down to uh, so many cases per hundred thousand people. If we get below a certain amount, then they probably think they got it on the run. But, you know, now they're talking about the new variants, but who's to say, you know, people say things all the time. And uh, even though a lot of people have passed away because of this, we're still behind where they said we would be. You know? Yeah. You've often told me that uh, Byron's goal in writing this was this, that he, he wanted to write it in a way that a handicapped person in a library could could solve the book and could find the treasures. And even in the back of the book, 
the the form kind of insinuates that 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 should be the case um, that someone without going to any of these cities should be able to figure out the exact dig spot and then explain it in a way that fits you know in a in a paragraph. Um, but the thing that we've never been able to figure out is what age group he was looking at. Was he was he targeting children? Did he think children could sit in a library? and and figure this out or was it more geared towards adults do you know what age group byron had in mind when he was writing this book or what age group it was marketed towards you know it's funny because usually when you when you do a book proposal and byron was also was called the book packager you know he was the uh, kind of central hub to coordinate authors and writers and you know he would work with arthur c clark or ray bradbury but he'd bring in an illustrator and they get everybody to work together um and usually when you do that, you have a target audience that you're trying to direct that book toward. But this, uh, I think, you know, I think it was a little bit older audience, maybe mid-teens and up. And if you notice the first treasure was found by some young teenage boys, but it also speaks to a little bit older crowd because, I mean, when you have a character called the Tupper Werewolf, I think a housewife could, at the time, without sounding sexist or anything, could could identify with that or a typographical terror. And I'm trying to think, you know, uh, record collectors, we try to hit on everybody in that field guide section of the book. And uh, I think it was anybody from, like I said, teens and probably young adult and up that would, that would be a, a fan of the book. I think he saw the um, appeal of Kit Williams uh, masquerade book. And that went over from little kids all the way, in fact, you know, some of the illustrations are very colorful and almost like children's book type illustrations anyway. So um, that book appealed to a vast variety of people. But I come to think of it, we never really talked about um, what the target audience was. It was all about uh, constructing these paintings, at least from my point of view, and um, working with these clues and how diabolical we could be <laughs> as far as how, how clever and how we could change it up so that one solve would not a clue a treasure would be solved in exactly the same way as another, even though there was a framework there, maybe would, uh, would the seasoned artist, the now John Palancar, if you had to do this again, what, what would you have done differently? If, if, if the seasoned artist did it rather than the young John Palancar, I would have spent more time on some of the, some of the covers and put more in there. I think I, I would have probably, we would have needed a little bit more time too, I think, to really, to really make uh, make them even deeper. The both the verses and the uh, the clues. Now, by by that, I mean you know maybe more resolution on the clues. That would that would uh, take a person step by step, and maybe by the solving of one clue, would lead on to to another clue. And that's kind of what has happened in, in an indirect way. I mean. Andy and what's his name again? Brian. Brian. Andy and Brian's in. Uh, I know they're not. Andy's going to get a uh, kick out of this because everybody remembers Andy. I met him. They're nice guys. We're at the same, we were staying at the same hotel there in New York before we went over to Brooklyn. And it was like we could have dinner together. And they didn't let us know we were there together. We could have <laughs> a great time. I ate alone. I ate like really hot Szechuan or hot Japanese. Anyway, um, what was your question again? You were talking about. What uh, would you do differently? I would have done uh, even more complex paintings and would have egged Byron on to do even more detailed verses so that they were 
just more just more details so things that would maybe have also been which i can't maybe, been, more, may, maybe met some misdirection in there or a misdirection with a good reflection that got you off into another area um and like i said that did happen with uh with andy and brian you had um there was it took the internet to solve that actually believe yeah. it or not mm -hmm. and uh i don't know if people know the story behind that but by them typing in the words for the one verse yep. it pointed them to the general area and then things started to fall into place and so even then after all those years and they were how many years after that they finally it took the internet and a vast amount of knowledge to kind of find to pin that down what those words actually meant so and i didn't even know that see byron was looking around i didn't even see him looking at that stuff when he was writing it down it was like he had that little book of his, you know, like the Indiana Jones book with the little rubber band strap around it, you know, and little notes in there and little diagrams and stuff. And I hate the fact that it's been 40 years. These are unsolved. Yeah. And your response to that question was, I would make them harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By making them harder, you make them easier one way. You know, it's like, you know, who knows where Byron's book is? You know, I don't know. What is this? Yeah. That's <laughs> right. No. Oh. So Bradley, you're diabolical, youngster. You're Bradley, diabolical. we're going to be breaking into John's house soon. It's not. It's not. It is not. Uh, it is not Byron's book. It is not. Byron's <laughs> book. Okay. So. So the the inside joke um, that George was touching on earlier was, um, uh, it's you might say that Andy is more charismatic than Brian, so everybody remembers Andy's name and not so much Brian's. But Brian was the one that was really into the puzzle. Yeah. Andy was just kind of tagging along as Andy a good friend. Andy, what was it? Not Summers. What was Andy's last name? Abrams. Um, Abrams. Abrams. Okay, yeah. But I remember Zim because the uh, Invader Zim or Zim or Zim. Yes, nice. The cartoon. That's why I remember Brian. I, I love that John Palancar just referenced my favorite comic artist, Johan <laughs> Vasquez. I love. Yeah. He did this thing called uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac before Invader Zim. It was oh, hilarious. Okay. I, I didn't know that. I'm looking at uh, some questions here too. From there were a couple of uh, questions about like you touched on becoming human because of the the uh, there was a guy who was talking about the human geometries and such because he does chainsaw carving. And you know, some you, people know I do that because I do. I work. You know, I work from imagination, from from life, and from my own photo reference. You know, that's I work from anything that I can get that's that I have control of from the from the start so if i have a model come over you know I can do drawings from life and then i can take photos and work from both and have the bottle come back over just to, now it's a little bit different though with the, with the COVID stuff but uh, bradley john can read the facebook page yeah that's what, yeah. <laughs> well i'm right now I, no I, I copied and pasted these in there from last time oh. um these are hidden clues and other paintings yeah she called it night watch yeah, that was the one I showed. That was Muse and Reverie by Charles Delin. There are many things hidden in these paintings. So just uh, whether they apply to the secret or not is up to your interpretation. Kit told a really nice story about that painting. He said it was it was odd because it was such a beautiful painting, but he, he didn't think it had ever been shown, or maybe it was only shown once or twice. Um, he said it just hung at the top of your staircase. No, it actually, it was, it was shown at the uh, Society of Illustrators in New York, and it actually won... An award called the Hamilton King Award, which is—they uh, say it's for the best illustration done by a member of the Society of Illustrators for that year. 
Yeah. So I get a nice big metal and a big lucite block and stuff. And it's presented at the, uh, um, they only give out one a year. And it's, I'm in with a really good group of uh, illustrators. Uh, and it's presented at the President's Dinner where they have the Hall of Fame inductees. You know, you have people like Norman Rockwell in there and N.C. Wyeth and Maxwell Parrish, J.C. Leindecker. I can go through a whole list of wow. R.B. Dunn and Parker and Mark English and uh, Bob Peake, Bertie Fuchs. A lot of these people don't were some of the people I actually studied with in Paris, France. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was a very kind of a special thing. So that, yeah, it hangs off. It's only been, I mean, I think I... It was in the, the Canton Museum of Art show, I think, that you guys went to. You know? mm, no. I don't remember seeing that there. Oh, okay. No, that one then it was at this site. It's been shown at a couple of uh, uh, conventions, I think. I don't think it's been at any art school. So I've done, I've done some exhibitions at some art schools and universities, too. So. He just figured it was very personal. He said you paint a lot of things and then you hang them up and they're yeah, personal and yeah. no one ever sees them. Yeah, that's right now until, you know, I get like a venue to show them and then I like I do the Canton thing and they picked what they wanted to show at that. And they bought one of them for their permanent collection there. And, uh, Oh, what'd they so buy? They bought, I, I, they, they got, uh, they, for their acquisition, they uh, got, a it was, um, one of the three covers for a, um, a I'm trying to think, uh, Cherry Priest was the author. There were, there were the, uh, it was about ghosts of the old South actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. It's called Not Flesh Nor Feathers. And it was uh I'm trying to think. See, that one's got some symbols in it too. Is it on display there now? They bring it out every once in a while. They brought it out they every once in a while they do what they show uh, works from their permanent collection. So they bring it out there. It was brought out in the last one and uh, it was at the show. It was yep. one of three covers at the at the show at the Canton when you guys were there. Um but uh yeah, they bring it out occasionally. Hopefully, they hang it right next to their Andrew Wyatt and Jamie Wyatt <laughs> at the museum by the by the uh, Andy Warhol, the Andes. Uh, speaking about award-winning art and um, shows, um, unless I'm wrong, I think the last exhibition of um, your watercolor painting um, that uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, going to be in uh, it's the American Watercolor Society. Their 153rd international exhibit, exhibit, and it's in Martinsville, Virginia, starting March 12th through May 1st, unless that has changed. Yeah, I think that some I heard different things. They're still advertising the show that it's during. I heard that uh, some of the other venues canceled, but then I heard that because of the uh, pandemic. But it seems like it's moving through. I was I felt very honored um, and privileged, especially to winning the. Um, the gold medal on that show and being it's the first time I ever entered the uh, American Watercolor Society and they're a, they're a heck of a uh, uh, organization. They've been around for, as you mentioned, 153 years this show has been going on. And they've shown work by, I think, you know, Andrew Wyeth and Winslow Homer, John Singer Sargent. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's a very respectable, uh, some of the new maybe modern crowd would think it's, you know, kind of old hat and, uh, you know, nothing but uh, full of a bunch of Sunday painters, but I can assure you it's not. There's some very accomplished um, artists in there. My high school art teacher is a, uh, a, uh, a distinguished fellow of the American Watercolor Society, and my good friend uh, Dean Mitchell is also a, 
on the board of directors there, I think, and a distinguished uh, fellow. Or I think he's a, a, they call it the Dolphin Award, Dolphin Fellow, you know, Dolphin Supporter, I guess. Um, so those both those guys are, I asked our teacher and a good friend from college are both uh, in there too. You know, I didn't even know it at the time. They weren't on the jury, so there's nothing to rate or anything like that. So <laughs> anybody think that, you know, it's like George finding the treasure or something. It's not, not like that, so. I hate the fact that I'm <laughs> I'm I'm essentially disbarred from this now. Yes, sucks. Oh, yes, wow. you've been you're you're uh, you've been castrated. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Your your treasure gonads are floating off in the air, buddy. You know, your like, probe has been removed. Drats. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, really? I mean, because that's what it'd be. Because somebody would see that and say, "Oh, he talks to Palinkai. Palinkai, get him money. Get him clues." I've got. I got one dig left. Uh, I started it a little while back and I didn't get it complete. And I'm going to finish that because I have documents that I've been doing it for two years. Hopefully we find something. It's my last shot. Well, you have to, you have to get somebody else to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a team. All right. Any questions? I have, Uh, I have two more that I would like to touch on. um, Edit all this stuff out about the soundtrack stuff. Oh no, I'm leaving it all in. Of course. Every bit of it. My questions are kind of uh, intertwined. Um, so for those of us that are, are big fans of your work, John, um, the only opportunities we really have right now to buy your work and have it in our home um, is either going out and finding the book um, that you did the work for and buying the book. Or in one case, we found that you did artwork for a video game. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> and so we go out and buy the video game. I can't believe um, I found that. Oh, my gosh. I don't so, think I, I don't even have a copy of that. I don't think I have a high res JPEG of it from the art director there. I um, think Vin Diesel owns that painting too. I think. Nice. I think they, so my questions were going to be um, just as far as video game goes: is uh, have you done artwork for any other video game? No, I. Uh, there's so many good people out there doing it. A lot of them are doing it digitally, and it translates all really well to the to the covers. Uh, a few of my friends are been doing some. But I haven't done many. I think the last one I did was that Riddick thing. But uh, then before that, there was uh, I did like a Mahjong game. And it was done for Electronic Arts. And that whole thing is kind of weird how those I know a, m- a number of art directors that are uh, involved in that business. One of them actually bought a painting when I was uh, a guest uh, visiting artist at the Laguna College of Art and Design. And he works for uh, is it Red Star Games or something like that? Or so I I think so I just my, found your Mahjong game. I about to say it should be difficult for us to locate that. It's got like a dra- <laughs> it looks like it's got like a dragon and a bird. Yeah, oh god. How wow. Do you find stuff? I, Yuck. I have to buy a Mahjong game now. <laughs> Same here. I, I just um I just bought uh uh, Dragon World, the old Commodore game. Um, John Perard did the art for that. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I saw the guy work on it. <laughs> it's very crude. And when he, I mean, Byron was really, see, there's another thing with Byron. He was always reading. If we went to the Friars Club, which he was a member of, and we would go there and uh, go up to the Bobby Howe Health Club on the fifth floor. And women are only allowed up to the third floor or second floor or something. Because <laughs> there are a bunch of naked old guys walking around on the fifth floor getting, you know, doing a steam or getting um, rubbed down or they're working out in the weight room. Spender, are you? Always, I don't know. I got on this. Byron was always reading. 
How did I get the fuck? Sorry. It's okay. It's fine. God, I'm like. Yeah, I draw you story. What now? Oh, Perard. Oh, on Dragon World. Yeah. How did I get from Dragon World to up to the Buddy How Health Club? Well, you just want to talk about Sven, and it's fine. <laughs> Sven, yeah. I draw you now. Oh, I draw you now. I don't want to tell the Spence story. He was, a very nice, he was a very nice guy, though. Very, very respectful. Very, very thorough. Nice very thorough. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah. No, but Sven always made sure you had your fruit juice in, this, in the sauna. Yeah. I give you juice. So, I, tried, I tried to get Perard to talk about that, to talk about making the digital art right? back in the 80s, and he oh, wouldn't. That's what I was saying. When I went to, to Byron, we would, we would go there, but when um, – before we would go to the friars, I don't know how I got there. I go to his office, and I a lot of times I would check in because I sometimes I'm seeing other publishers while I'm in New York, and I'm seeing this place we're working together, but then I'm off other places. Sometimes I go into the museum or whatever, and so we would. Uh, but I drop by his office to check in, and he had this guy in a back room. He was a young guy, and he was writing code. And I remember I said, "So look, this is how much I got so far," and it'd be like a. A kind of really pixelated dragon flying around with like a really pixelated bolt, bolt of lightning coming down or something like that. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really neat, you know. It's a great game. I yeah. Pong. We were still in the age of Pong. Back we, then. Uh, it we, wasn't even full metal gear or metal jacket or anything like that. It was like pre this, you know. Yeah. Byron was, that's what I want to say because he was always reading at the Friars Cup. He was always ahead of the curve. And when he was doing these games, uh, he was ahead of the curve on that. A lot of people weren't doing it. He did Fahrenheit 451, I think, with Ray mm -hmm. Bradbury. And he did the Dragon World, his own book. He did Treasure Island. And this guy designed these games in a little back office working on a Mac computer, you know, an early, early Mac, you know. And we, and, re uh, we recoded all of those games, and you can play them on our website, for God's sake. Yep. No, oh, they're so much Every fun. Every single one of them. Really? So, yep. I mean, he, he was ahead of So he was doing that, and I, you know, he got into the – dinosaur thing and i think that inspired spielberg to do the you know to do the jurassic park movies because byron said this book is a really neat look at dinosaurs we're going to reveal all this new information about them and he was really happy because he got uh, i don't know three spreads in life magazine you have to understand life magazine was a, was the place to be a huge magazine so that when you opened up a spread in it you had 20 inches of you know yeah you in front of in front of whoever was looking at the magazine i think he had three spreads in there William Stout was the artist that worked on that book. Byron was on the morning show with, you know, Gene Shallot, who used to be a film critic at the time on NBC or ABC. I can't remember. So he was getting a lot of press with this with this book. So he was always, and then, you know, Spielberg years later does this uh, Jurassic Park thing. And uh, he was always ahead of the curve. So this, you got on this, you're talking about the video games and, you know, mm -hmm. that's, he was always reading and that's what he would do a lot of his reading on the bike at the, Back to the Friars Club on the Buddy Howe Health Club on the fifth floor. So, I guess final question, then we'll let John go get work. his. Yeah, go work. You organize my studio. Hmm. Well, uh, do you, you said you don't have a copy of this. Would you like me to send you a copy? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's okay. I don't mind I, at all. I, anyway, I, I would I, love I, some I, opportunity to give back. I don't have a games. I don't have a, I don't have any game consoles here. My sons have all the game consoles. They <laughs> have the Whatever the latest Sony is, they have that. You know, they have they have them hooked up. They play online. They got their headsets on. They swear at each other. You know, they're oh yeah. This is um yeah. 
this is one thing that your son Kit and I have in common, very much so, is, is uh, the video game franchise Doom. Oh, yeah? I have a huge collection of Doom uh, memorabilia, and uh, him and I send each other things pretty regularly. That's a nice cabinet you got back there, too. I can see, I can only see a little bit. I see bobbleheads. You got a bobbleheads in there, too? Oh, uh, yeah, there's a couple. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, George, you, you were mentioning you had a um, final I, question. I did play Doom. I did make it to the end of Doom. And the only reason why I, I played it, because we were in between homes and we were running a home. And so we had satellite TV where we were. And the unit that we got from uh, Dish Unit had a built-in Doom game in it. <laughs> Doom was on in, in the unit. So we could yeah. play it. And I, I played it all the way to the end until I saw the Bloody Rabbit or whatever the heck was that. The idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, I really got, and we played it on a, a a small wireless keyboard that came with the uh, um, with it substituted for regular remote control that came with the dish unit, and so you could use the different arrows and stuff. It wasn't even a game, uh, whatever you call it, controller. That's yeah. awesome! Wow. So it was, I, yeah. And then I got see, I, I get too obsessive about stuff. It's like I am with my art. I can keep on working, you know. I can, or my music. I can be down there. For seven or eight hours in my life saying, are you coming up yet? It's like, no, I still I'm working down here, you know. And so if I'm in the studio, I'm the same way, and I will be the same with, I mean, I played Dr. Mario, I don't know how many levels I got in that, you know, or the Tetris, they forget it, you know, it's like I get the OCD clicked on there, and I can't get blinders on, and I will conquer something until I can, or I will work on something until I can, can master it and conquer it, so. But, yeah, that's why I don't get anyone near or any of that <laughs> fair enough game stuff i think too i think it's a real distraction with the young people today and i think they should quit it <laughs> i think well, get i don't i don't qualify as young anymore so i'm okay no, with yeah i'm good <laughs> i mean yeah but i'm not into that i i would obsess too much about it. i'm into the music thing i'm into the i'm kind of a technology whore you know i mean i really like that stuff and i i that when, when it deals with music and it's funny because in my art i'm all traditional in my music i'm all digital and so it's kind of you know that's where i am more with the technology in art i still think we can um painting uh right the old way is kind of you know my, my students just call me obi john kenobi because i <laughs> talk, about, talk about the old way so i still think there's something honorable and something kind of uh, primordial about working traditionally in the arts, you know, with paint and canvas or panel or paper and watercolor um, that can't be replaced by some of these digital artists working on the screen. I mean, what they're doing is beautiful, you know, the, the, the special effects and the art that they can do. But I think some of them are missing out now by getting so much into the digital realm through the games and through the, the art that there's a, uh, that they're they're missing uh, they're they're missing activating a different part of their brain than what's being activated by the technology. So, my uh, my my last question it's uh, okay. it might not even make the cut. I don't exactly know how to ask it. Um, the secret oh. kind of the, the secret kind of accomplished something that art generally doesn't accomplish. Generally, when you experience art, you experience it in a two D way. You look at it at a book or you look at a painting and you appreciate it. You appreciate the way it makes you feel. You you sort of take the story that the artist want to, wants to give you. Um, right. But the secret you experience in the real world. You, you, take, right. you take the secret and you go out to different parks. You experience adventures with your family. 
um, things like that. It, it just makes people experience the art in a different way. I was curious um, if you thought of that when you were creating The Secret. And now, as sort of a seasoned artist, uh, how does that make you feel that you've you've your art sends people out to experience the world that way? Oh, jeez. I don't know. When I was working on it, I didn't think of any of that at the time. It was just like trying to do something cool, something that was a little mischievous and uh, uh, just try to, you know, clever to, and trying to do a good piece of art. And they, they kind of vary in quality. That's why if I had a chance to do it again, I'd approach them with a little bit more of a, spending a little more time on them. As far as uh, now, it's like, in one way, it's like, you know, this is back 40 years from I'm on to other things here. So I feel in one way, this is kind of pulling me back, but, you know, I can appreciate uh, what it's done for some people, you know, where it's, uh, it's maybe frustrated some people, it's created friendships like with you guys. And um, I think uh, that's, that's a good part. People have learned a little bit about history Jason Krupat lost 40 pounds. I got to get on his program because, you know, I'm kind of middle-aged and kind of sat too long at the easel, I guess you could say. And um, so, uh, I mean, it, it, it is neat to know that people have learned a little bit, have gotten friendships. And uh, it astounds me that here, here I am talking about one of the earliest projects I ever worked on that has garnered this much attention. I mean, uh, when I think about it, uh, I had worked through, I mean, I worked for American Greetings at age 19 and I worked there and they bought some of even my high school work for their corporate collection. And then, you know, I freelanced for uh, the studio uh, there in art school. You know, I did stuff for Procter and Gamble and NCR and um, Huffy Bikes and things like that. And a number of other, uh, major commercial, the very kind of commercial, the ugly underbelly of commercial art, I like to call it. And then my first really kind of more artistic stuff that I got through New York. Byron was the first person to ever contact me out of uh, out of New York. And we worked on the Distant Stars project. And then The Secret was the second project we worked on. And uh, then I had already started doing stuff out of New York. So it's, it's, uh, in one way, amazing to me that something I did that long ago has kind of come back to haunt me, I guess. But uh, it's also gratifying to see uh, people engaged in uh, the pursuit of treasures or using their brains and trying to figure this stuff out. And uh, along the way, you know, having good friendships and relationships and going out to good dinners and experiencing some of these places, aside from just looking for the treasures, you know, that there's a, there's a whole nother series of orbits that are around the, the core of this, uh, of, you know, of the, uh, of the books. So. All right. Well, we appreciate your time. I, I don't want to hold you up anymore unless there's anything you want to say to the secret community. Uh, no, just, uh, Stop you know, calling me. treasures, get permission. Don't dig without permission. I do not know the treasures. Do not send me any more things, please. Just, you know, and hunt safely. Have a good time. Don't be evil. <laughs> be good. Be kind. Be excellent to each other, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that! You got a, You got the. You got the uh, Saint Augustine one. I mean, uh, you have the. Yeah. 
He does, yeah. So there is there is one thing, Bradley. This is going to be fun. There's John. There's one thing we like to do to our podcast guests. <laughs> what? Bradley and I are in a position where the community likes to come to us for advice, and and we've been in this a lot, so we know a lot of things. So we like to ask our pod, we like to give our podcast guests a chance off air, not recorded, to ask us one question that we will answer honestly. So, do you have any question about the secret that you would like to ask us? Me? Yeah, it's it's hilarious because it's you. (laughs) I don't know what. Who who is? Why haven't you guys found one yet? <laughs> we're we're morons. We I'm not smart enough. It's as simple as that. I, I couldn't see a home plate that was in front of my eyes for years. I've, That's why. I've lived in St. Augustine <laughs> my entire life, and I don't even know where to start this puzzle. I forgot that. I even forgot about See, I forgot that, the sleeve thing. And I remember, I think, Byron saying, do that. I'm like, where? He goes, that'll work. I said, you think here? And he goes, that works. So the, the home plate on the sleeve. And I see it's like one of those, it was very fluid back and forth and stuff like that, you know. So, but if Byron and I were doing it this time, we would definitely use the internet. Yeah. The internet would be part of it. In fact, he would probably hire a couple digital guys along with somebody like me that do print. And within the printed paintings, there would be some kind of clue to go to a URL that would then open up to additional clues that might take you back to the book or to somewhere else that you would find something, you know, it could be really, that could be really cool. Too bad. You know, it's yeah. like, anyway, but yeah, to, be- answer, to answer your question, we, we love this thing. We've been working. Like I yeah. said, I, I live, I've lived yeah. in the city my entire life. I don't even know where to start. Like I have a, I have a secret tattoo. I have yeah. no idea where to start. Uh, like I'm just an idiot yeah. when it comes to this puzzle. Uh, I don't think you are. I think you're smarter than you think that you're, that you're letting on to me to be, but, uh, well, that's a nice compliment. Thank you. It hasn't helped me find a cast, though. I still can't solve this puzzle. Um, and thanks for taking time out of your day to do this interview. I know uh, you're a busy man, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully you had a good time. I know we enjoyed it. And hopefully everybody out there uh, watching enjoyed it. Maybe we got some questions answered for you. Um, helps you sort of narrow down your solutions or your ideas. Uh, hopefully it helped out a little bit. Um, if you wouldn't mind, throw a comment down below subscribe to the videos we don't we don't post stuff often on facebook or on uh youtube but when we do it's usually pretty cool so hit the subscribe button if you want um check out the rest of our videos whatever you'd like to do bradley bradley uh hit a button play us out Jeez, man. We gotta get you some cooler buttons.